It's great to be in the house of the Lord. I was uh, at the pre-service prayer this morning and Carol was leading the pre-service prayer and um, during the prayer she said, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I said, thank you, Lord, for approving and endorsing what I'm about to speak today. The title of my sermon is The Temple. I love how God approves it. This is a word for the church today. So I hope you're ready to hear the word of God. I pray that the Lord would speak to you, speak to your heart, and that uh, you will respond. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was at work. Uh, I believe it was a Saturday evening around 6.30, 7 o'clock. I saw this man. Oh, there's a little spider there. <laughs> I saw this man sitting outside my workplace and he had a bottle of wine in his hand. And a um, pretty nice bottle of, bottle of wine for a homeless man. So I was drawn to go speak to him. So I quickly finished my work. I went outside and said hello and started speaking. And in about 10 minutes time, his eyes all welled up and he started crying. And um, we kept talking and I knew what was happening. I knew the Lord was dealing with his heart. And then about half an hour later, I said, have you had anything to eat? And he said, no. I said, come with me. So I took him to Hungry Jack's, Morrowfield, bought him some dinner. And we went to a place, we sat down, he's having his meal. And he stared at me for a few moments and he said, Josh, who are you? I knew what he was talking about, but I said, I'm Josh. But I knew what he meant. I said, no, man, you, there's, there's something... I just don't quite understand who I, why did you do all the things? He said, I got two daughters, 18 years and 16 years old. They'd never seen their father in a mess like you're seeing. They'd never seen their father cry. But you spent half an hour with me and I'm in a mess. What is it about you? And I said, man, God's dealing with your heart. And um, he nodded and, you know, he wasn't quite buying it. Then later on he said, Josh, you don't realize you could be talking to a multimillionaire. And I said, wow, okay, are you a millionaire? <laughs> and he said, well, I could be. He said, I've done very well in life. I've got houses, I've got cars, and I'm not really homeless. I'm actually, I run an organization, one in Bundaberg, one in Brisbane, and one in Kabulcha. I take men who are battling with depression, suicidal thoughts, all those things, I mentor them. You are what I'm looking for. Would you work for me? <laughs> I said, tell me more about it. <laughs> and he said, man, I just want you to mentor people. What you've done to me tonight, I want you to do, do to other people. And I said, yeah, I'll think about it. Then he said, there's only one condition. 
Whatever you've done tonight, it is you. Don't give credit to some fairy in the sky. And then I nearly turned around and said, get behind me. (laughs) You know the rest. You really think your millions of dollars would influence me to not give credit to what is inside of me. Brother, you think I'm good. Let me tell you, you take God out of me, you're not going to like me. (laughs) There's nothing good about me. What you have experienced tonight is, is God inside of me. And he's not buying it. And I said, with great respect, my brother, I'm going to have to decline the job offer. I said, let me tell you, wherever I go, till the lights go out, God gets the credit. That's just the way it works. But I hope, um, I hope God deals with this heart, that he would ring me and he would say, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus. You know, so... Um, so the Lord put it in my heart to speak about the temple. Because this man doesn't realize how rich I am. <laughs> you know, he thinks he's a multi-millionaire. Man, I'm, I, I'm a multi-billionaire. So, you know, he said, I've done very well in cryptocurrency and this and that. And, you know, he said, you changed my life, Josh. How can I change yours? I said, my life's changed, man. my life has changed all I want from you is you experience Jesus who is inside of me so this morning the title of my sermon is the temple so I hope I hope you're excited (laughs) so the book of Exodus you know it talks about how God delivered the people of Israel from slavery And it also talks about their life in the wilderness, so on and so forth. And while they were in the wilderness, in chapter 25, verse 8, God tells Moses, Make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among the people. Make me a sanctuary. And according to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishing, just so you shall make it. So God gave Moses very, very detailed instructions of how he must build this tabernacle, pretty complex construction. And chapters 25 to 28, you can go and read the Bible uh, later on, but it talks about the instructions the Lord gave on how to build this tabernacle, a sanctuary that he will come down and dwell. Gold, silver, bronze, acacia, wood, Precious stones and gems were among the many, many materials that they used to build the sanctuary for the Lord. And it was a place where God chose to meet with the people, where people offered sacrifices and, and, and you know, their sins were forgiven. And it's a place where God encountered with people and people were blessed in turn. And fascinating is because it's a complex construction, but God gave a man named Bessalel all the skills to build the temple. 
It says he gave him skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for the work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And then he also filled him with the Spirit of God. And once the construction of this temple was, was finished, the Bible says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It was so thick that Moses could not enter the tabernacle. It was so thick. And during the day, the cloud of the Lord covered this tabernacle. But in the night, the fire of the Lord was above the tabernacle. What a fascinating, powerful picture of the presence of God. And as we move forward in 2 Samuel chapter 6, there's a situation where David gathered 30,000 men and they went to get, bring the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, 30,000 men. And they're on their way, they put the Ark on this, uh, on this cart driven by oxen. And at a certain point of the journey, the oxen stumbled and a man named Uzzah reached out and grabbed the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says the Lord was not pleased by what he's done and he struck him and he dropped, dropped dead by the Ark. The Bible says David had so much fear for the Lord that day. And because of that, he decided to park the Ark of the Covenant in the house of a man named Obed-Edom for three months. And the Bible says the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and everything that belonged to him because the Ark of the Covenant was parked in his house. What a powerful picture of the presence of God where there's spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. There is joy. There is blessing. There is breakthrough. So on and so forth. Moving forward, as we come to 1 Kings, we can see that King David in his last days, he had a desire in his heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant, a sanctuary for the Lord. And he inquires with Prophet Nathan, and Prophet Nathan gives him the green light, go ahead. And then God says to David, you are not to build me a temple because you have been a man of war and you have shed much blood. But your son Solomon will build me a temple. So King Solomon got anointed as a king and he starts building the temple for the Lord. And he appointed 70,000 men as laborers, 80,000 men to quarry stones in the mountains, and 3,600 people to oversee the project. So in total, 153,600 people were involved in the project. I don't think there was anything if there will be anything as big as this project on the face of planet. 153,600 people were appointed to build the temple. Gold, silver, bronze, precious stones, gems, everything was thrown in to build this temple. In 1925, almost 100 years ago, the Illinois Society of Architects Estimated to build a temple similar to what King Solomon built in 1925, 
It would cost $87 billion. With a B, not M, billion dollars. And today, it will be worth about $175 billion. So let that sink in. When the White House was built in the 1700s, it cost 232,000 US dollars. The president of the most powerful country lives in the White House. And today, the White House is worth about close to 400 million M, million US dollars. Today, King Solomon's temple would cost $175 billion. All for the Most High God to come down and dwell. Let that sink in, 153,600. I looked at the population of Kabulcha, I think 2022 statistics, it's 97,000 people. Solomon had the entire Kabulcha and more engaged in building this temple. After King Solomon dedicated the temple, the Bible says the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Fire came down, burned the offerings, and the people that, that led the worship, the priests could not continue with the ceremony because the cloud was so thick. And when the fire came down, people fell to the ground with their faces down and they worshipped God. And they said, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Once again, what a powerful picture of the presence of God. God's dwelling place, the sanctuary, he came down. However, in 586 BC, the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Everything was brought down to nothing. But this morning, I'm excited to tell you there is a temple that the Lord delights to dwell in more than anything else. A temple that is far more precious than gold and bronze and silver and precious stones. A temple that is far more precious than King Solomon's $175 billion worth of temple. The temple that is you and me. You're thinking, Josh, you're really saying we are more precious than King Solomon's temple. Absolutely. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. You know, God spoke everything into existence. He said, let there be light. And there was light. He did that with everything. There was stars, galaxies, you name it. Everything he spoke into existence. But then he said, let us make man in our own image. And he came down, he formed man of the dust, of the ground, and he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You know, we are the only creation that the Creator created, Creator created with His own hands and breathed His Spirit into. And David sings in Psalm 139, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful I know that fully well. You know, we are the only creation that the Bible says that, that God created us fearfully and wonderfully. 
There is nothing that God created that He loves as much as He loves you and me. You know, He loved us that much. He, he sent His Son for our sins. You know, when a person accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, incredible things happen. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and seals the spirit man. Ephesians 1.13. Now, what does it mean to be sealed? You know, in the ancient days, long before I was born, when somebody wrote a letter and they sent that letter away, before they do, they would, they would put a seal on it just to show the ownership of the letter. Farmers would often have their cattle branded with the seal to show they belong to that farmer. Likewise, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit to show that God has complete ownership over us and the enemy has no legal right over you. We were once spiritually dead because of our disobedience and sins, but we are saved by grace through faith. And he brought us back to life through Christ. Now, it is such great news that you and I are the temples of the Holy Spirit. God dwells inside of us. You know, while it is such great news, is Christian life just about being saved? Each and every person sitting here, born-again person sitting here, is a temple of God, which is such beautiful news. You're a sanctuary. There's no greater honor than being the temple of the Most High God. However, I believe it is possible for a born-again believer to live a life of fruitlessness. As a matter of fact, my life, 30 years, 29, 30 years of my life, I was just a pew warmer. I just thought, this is it, you know, I'm saved, got the ticket, happy days. I'll just uh, live my life till the lights go out, and that'll be it. So it is possible for a born-again Christian to just rust away. So this morning I'd like to turn your attention to the Gospel of John. Chapter 12, verse 20 to 26. Sorry, Dan, I was meant to uh, tell you the scriptures. <laughs> My apologies. John chapter 12, verse 20 to 26. It says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now, this whole scenario takes place 
towards the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. He did wonderful things. He walked in obedience to his father. And he's about to fulfill the last part of his assignment that God, the father gave him. That is to take upon himself the sins of all humanity and die on the cross. So news about Jesus went far and beyond Jerusalem and even to the Greeks. And some scholars say he became very famous after he flipped the tables in the temple courts. Because some scholars believe the Greeks had their stalls and everything in there as well. So Jesus comes, cracks the whip. And and the Greeks want to know, who is this Jesus? (laughs) They said to the disciple, Philip, sir, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to Andrew and they went to Jesus. And Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is quite powerful. It's very, very powerful. I've been meditating on this. Man, this this is so powerful. Jesus is about to be captured and go through a great deal of torture, persecution from the Romans, And he's about to be put on this torture instrument that is a cross and die a very painful death. And he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is referring to himself as the kernel of wheat. That if it dies, it produces many seeds. If I die, I will be raised from the dead in three days. And if I do, it will bring hope and blessing for all humanity. And the relationship between God and humanity will be reconciled. In other words, Jesus is saying, it is only by death comes life. This is a paradox. If you don't die, you don't live. A kernel of wheat, a grain of, a grain of wheat is unfruitful and ineffective if it sits on its own. You can put a a grain of wheat in your cupboard. I can guarantee you come back a week later, you'll be there, no change. I can guarantee you come back in three months' time, you'll be there, no change. But when when it is sown into the ground, miracle happens. When it's buried into the ground, it bears much fruit. So I did a bit of Google searching on the, uh, the growth cycle of the kernel of wheat. Once you sow it in the ground, in about three to five days, the seed caught cracks and roots start to form. And the first shoot comes up to the ground. It's also called a tiller. And the second stage is stem extension. You don't need explanation of what that is. The third stage is called heading, where the, where, the, where the wheat plant just grows and the head forms until the last leaf unwraps from the head. And the last and final stage is ripening, where the wheat plant is mature and ready for harvest and the color turns from green to brown. 
And each wheat plant produces anywhere from three to five heads. And each head carries about 20 to 30 kernels. So one seed, if it is buried into the ground, will produce anywhere from 100 to 150 kernels. Inside this tiny little grain is the power to transform this seed into a plant and produce much fruit. Likewise, living inside of you and me is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. But only when a man dies to himself, only when he dies to his personal aims and ambitions and desires that he begins to be a real use for God. You know, you hear people say, man, I want to do great things, mighty things for the Lord, and I love hearing it. I, I, I just pray that everybody that I come across would say that. <coughs> but they think it's, it's going to happen by magic. You've got to start dying. They're not willing to die to self, to their own fleshly desires and ambitions, they're not willing to put, to put to death their own agendas and be about God's agenda. They're not willing to die to their own will and be about the Father's will. Jesus was about the Father's will. You know, a man, man who loves his life, you know, usually driven by two things. His desire for security and selfishness. You know, he puts his mind on things of the earth, he toils away, he holds things to himself and he feels secure and he holds on to it tight. And I believe most people are unwilling to die because they're afraid of losing the life they had planned, the life they, they feel they can control and they're not sure if going, going, going doing things God's way is going to work out. So they hold on to their life. You know, the philosophy of the world say, live for self. But Jesus said, die to self. The world says, you only live once, so knock yourself out. Do what pleases you. But Jesus says, die to self. Do what makes you happy, the world says. It's your life, my life, my choice, whatever they say. But Jesus said, die to self. Man, it is beyond me when Jesus, the author of order and perfecter of our faith, the creator of all things, he says, die to self, that people hang on to their life. It's madness. This is the book of life. But we put, but fail to put our trust in what God says. The more we hold on to our life, we lose it. King Solomon, the richest man to ever walk the earth, he said in the end, in his final days, he said, it's all meaningless. He had all rich, rich, richness and glory and you name it. He said, it's all meaningless. It's all like chasing the wind. You know, I had a King Solomon moment in 2015, when I was in London, 
I felt so much emptiness in my life, all the things I was going after and chasing. And I thought, wow, it's just empty. It's not making sense. God, there has to be something more than this. In the preface of his book, Voices from the Edge of Eternity, John Mayer said, Beauty, honor, wealth, earthly power, hopes and dreams are all swallowed up in that finality. Man was born with his hands clenched. He dies with them wide open. Entering life, he desires to grasp everything, leaving the world all that he possessed has slipped away. But it is not so much death itself as the mystery of what lies beyond that closed door that has haunted mankind since time immemorial. You know, anyone who dies to self understands God created, that, created him for a reason and God has a plan for his life. And he's part of God's plan for the world. Unless you know your purpose, you will hold on to your life here. But if you have that conviction that God has a plan for your life, you are part of the big picture, then you will let go of yourself. That was the turning point for me. The Lord clearly showed me that he had a plan for my life, that he was going to use me. Then the world doesn't matter to me. Millions of dollars, the carrot, like the man offered, he said, how can I change your life? <laughs> Brother, you don't understand. You know, God wants to use every single person sitting here today. He wants to use you to accomplish his purposes in the world. You were not born to just live your life and be saved, get the ticket, and just rust away. That is not the plan. Dying to self or to your flesh is a conscious decision. It's an act of obedience to God. When we die to self, people's words and actions don't matter anymore. When you die to self, it doesn't matter what your brother says about you. Because you're about the Father's business. I used to be someone who, who would take great offense at everything. But man, bring it on now. <laughs> Praise God. Because the more I die to myself every day, the more I'm focused on God's plan for my life. The more I'm, 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 I'm about God business every day. Because I'm so secure, I'm so confident in my calling. But you have to die to, to yourself. When you die to self, your circumstance is not going to cause you to walk away from God because you are clear about what God wants you to do. Jesus wasn't moved by the persecution he went through. Jesus wasn't moved by the oppression he faced from the Pharisees. He had one thing and one thing in his mind to fulfill the assignment his father gave him.
you know, last few months, one of the things the Lord's been really speaking to me is to be a soldier. Uh, I think I shared it with Pastor Ben. You know, there's a couple of times this happened and, you know, I'm in, I'm in the house and I'm praying, speaking in tongues, praying in the spirit and, and just, I'm just taken over. I said, Lord, I'm your soldier. I'm your soldier, King. <laughs> That's one time. One time I just took the sword out. I said, Lord, here I am. Send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. I'm at your service. Command. I love it. Last Sunday, um, my brother Luke, I don't think he's here, Luke. Luke and I were, were driving to a place to move some furniture for him. He asked me for help and I went along and we were on a beer barn road and I saw this man from a distance and I realised he's my mate. And I said to Luke, man, pull over. And uh, this guy is someone I met at the courthouse in Kabulcha months ago. When I saw him, he had an angle bracelet and we were able to minister to him. And then um, I hung out with him a few times and then that was it. I didn't hear from him for a while. And here he is coming. I pull over and he recognized me and, and he was all battered up, bruised. His face was all disfigured, you know, missing teeth and everything. And I said, what's going on, man? He said, oh, could you give me a lift to uh, my place? And, and Luke was happy to drive him to his place. And we started talking to him. He said, man, a few things happened in my life two weeks ago and last week. I went to the park behind my house with a rope, tried to hang, him, hang myself on the tree, and it failed. And because it failed, I went and jumped in front of a car and um, did a lot of damage. And he was limping away, you know. And I was able to minister to him, so I was, look. And when we dropped him off, gave him a hug and said, brother, you are precious, man. You are precious. Don't you ever, ever, ever entertain these suicidal thoughts ever again. We're going to journey with you. God has a plan. I said, I want you to think about everything that happened this afternoon. If we were going to be a minute late, you wouldn't have seen us. But God orchestrated this whole thing. Perhaps he's trying to tell you something. You know, I came home and later on I rang Luke and I said, man... I just so love how God uses me. You know, the more I die to self, the more I say, Lord, use me. How are you going to use me today? I'm about your business, Lord, and the Lord puts things in my way. And, and I become a vessel. Don't think because I'm preaching on this means that I have perfected the art of dying. Every day is a, is a process of dying. There are a lot of things that I need to put to death. Unless the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it, it cannot bear fruit. It doesn't matter. You put that grain there and you speak to it every day. Grain come to life. Believe me, nothing happens. It has to die. 
you have in you the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, but you want the fullness of Christ manifest in your life, you got to die. The man at Morrowfield, he said to me, Josh, who are you? I knew what he meant. He saw Jesus. <laughs> he saw Jesus because I, I, I consciously die every day. I let go of my agendas, my shame or my guilt or pride or whatever it is. I put to death. Lord, that man, you're leading me to that man. I let go of my agenda. Here I am. Speak through me. My prayer is, church, we'll be a church that would die to self. You want God to use you in a great, mighty way, start dying. You want to see, you want to see great revival. You want to see people, a great harvest in the city of Kabul to then start dying. Start dying to self. It's not going to happen by magic. The kernel of it has to die. If I could please uh, request the team to come up. There are people here today that the Lord is speaking to. You have given your heart to the Lord at some point in your life, but for whatever reason, whatever circumstance, you have led a life that is fruitless. I have for 30 years of my life. Today, God's speaking to you. There are things in your life that need to be put to death. You're able to see the fullness of the wheat plant because the wheat seed died. You want to see the fullness of Christ live in and through your life. You have to die. If you are here this morning and the Lord is speaking to you, you know, somebody said, it is better to burn out than to rust out. Tragically, many Christians live out their life rusting away. And I'm not too sure if it was Pastor Ben or someone else. I think it was you. You said, imagine you as a believer. You stand before God one day and God shows you. This is what you could have been if you were to die to yourself. Man, there's no greater tragedy than to know this is, Lord, this is what I could have been. My friends, every single one of you, inside of you is a power that raised Christ from the dead. Imagine if you put to death yourself, what sort of impact you could be making in the lives of people. You know, I love, I love being part of the evangelism, you know. I love getting out and about. I love people giving their hearts to Jesus. Uh, there's no greater joy for me to see someone receiving the gift of salvation. But you know, who am I? A sinful man. I was, but he loved me while I was still a sinner. 
but he chooses me. He, 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 he uses me every day. What a privilege. What, a, what an honorable thing to actually be at service for the Lord. If that is you this morning, you say, you know what, yeah. I sat in the pews. I sat on the sideline most of my life. I'm ready to get in the field and play. I'm ready to die to myself. Lord, I die. That's what happened to me in 2015. I said, Lord, use me or you lose me. It's time to do some transactions here. I'm ready. I'm willing to die. But turn up and do something with me. Man, no millions of dollars can <laughs> turn me away from it. We're running out of time, so if that is you this morning, the Lord's speaking to you, I would like to invite you to come to the front. We'd love to stand with you and pray for you. The prayer team will be here. I believe God's going to do great and mighty things in our city. I truly believe that. But start dying. Die to self. Let go of your agendas and take on God's agenda. Put to death your will and be about the Father's will. You will see great and wonderful things in our city. You want to leave a legacy for your children, a God legacy for your children, start dying. Why don't we all stand up? If that is you this morning, I would love to invite you to come to the front. And before I leave, I also want to invite you, if, that, if, if you haven't received Christ in your life, you're here this morning, you heard about Jesus, but you haven't given your heart to the Lord, and today's the day. Tomorrow is not promised for anybody. Jesus is a great shepherd. He is a giver of life. And he wants to give you life, life in abundance, life everlasting. If that is you this morning, would you come to the front? It would be my honor to stand with you and pray for you. It is better to burn out than to rust out. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. <laughs> Doesn't get more clearer than that. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus unless you take up your own cross deny yourself and follow him. You have to put to death yourself and follow him every day. Deny yourself. What does it mean? Deny yourself. Peter denied Jesus three times. He said, I don't know this man. They said, no, you've been with Jesus. I got no idea what you're talking about. The third time they said, I've seen him with Jesus. He said, I have nothing to do with that man. He denied Jesus three times. Likewise, we deny ourselves. I got nothing to do with that Josh there. That self-centered, selfish Josh. 
You've got to deny yourself. Take up your own cross. I'd like to read the scripture. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Dan, um, love the song you sang, the second one, brother, if we can sing that. I'd like to invite people to come to the front. I'd love to stand and pray with you. Take up your cross, my friends. Die to yourself and you shall bear much fruit. Let us be a church that died to self. Wouldn't it be awesome to see Kabulja, one for, the, one, for, one for Christ? Wouldn't it be awesome to see drug addicts, people that, that have suicidal thoughts, children that are abandoned, Come to Christ. Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it make sense to be about things that have eternal value? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came for things that are eternal. He didn't come for non-eternal things. He's an eternal God who came for eternal things. He came for you and me. Shouldn't we about the same thing? We are to be about eternal things. We are to be about God's people. So let us die to ourselves. Let us be a church that died to self. And we shall see great and mighty things. Praise God. Amen.